Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about how changing your shoes can literally change your life for real. We'll do that with Stephen Sashin. Now, Stephen is a serial entrepreneur who has never had a job. Good job for that. A former professional stand-up comic and award-winning screenwriter and a competitive sprinter, one of the fastest men in the world. It says country, but I think world, actually. And maybe the fastest 60-plus-year-old Jewish sprinter in the world. He and his wife, uh, Lena Phoenix, co-founded the footwear company known as Zero Shoes, creating a movement, in CAPS movement, which has helped hundreds of thousands of people live life feet first with happy, healthy, strong feet in addictively comfortable footwear. Stephen and Lena have also appeared on Shark Tank, where they were able to turn down 400000 from Kevin O'Leary with a big smile on their face. Hey, Stephen, it's great to have you here, sir. Thank you, my God. It's as if I wrote that intro. I got to update a couple of pieces on that now that I'm 61. Yeah, and six, I know. But you know what? It keeps going on, though. It's crazy. I don't know how the numbers keep going up, which I'm not a big fan of. It, it actually, that's what happens happens in sprinting too. The numbers keep oh, going up. My goal as a sprinter, I just want to keep hitting all American times. I don't care that I'm getting slower because we all do. I just want to keep hitting those all American times. And as long as I'm doing that, I'm happy. Yeah. So Stephen knows, your listeners don't know that my pop was also a, a, a world famous sprinter, set tons and tons of records. And he had the good fortune of being born on Christmas Day. So what that means is six days later, he's in the next way age class. Yeah. And he's a, he's half a year minimum. He's the younger than the, than the average person in there. So the first, the change, if you will, which will take place for Stephen when he's 65, yep. will be will be a new experience. It's okay because my birthday is in June. So when I turn a new, when I'm in the new age group, which is every five years, I'm fine for the outdoor season, but I've lost six months for the indoor season. So your yeah. dad got the indoor season first, then the outdoor season. Which you is got them both. My father never understood this. He called me to mock me when I was 50. I went, I don't think you get it, man. I'm at the beginning of a new age group. This is awesome. This is it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it is awesome. Every five years, it's just like having your your fifth year anniversary all over again. It's the best. Let's talk about not track shoes, but let's talk about shoes in general. Sure. So Stephen, who do you and your wife serve with your shoe brand? I like to say our market is people with feet, preferably two, but not required. And the not required part is because we actually have a bunch of single leg amputees, people who've come back from various wars, who've said that if it weren't for our shoes, they couldn't walk because they couldn't feel anything with the leg that's gone, obviously. And a typical shoe has so much cushioning that they can't feel anything through that on the leg that's still there. So our footwear, which gives you feedback into your brain from what you're stepping on or stepping in is what's allowed them to walk. But And since everybody pretty much buys shoes, I'm, obviously there are people who are we're not right for because of price or something, either too high or too low. Some people won't buy a shoe more than $20. Some people won't buy a shoe less than $2,000. But for health and fitness-minded men and women, people with feet preferably too. So they uh, share a problem or problems. So could you articulate, Stephen, for us some of the problems that uh, your 
uh, line of shoe uh, footwear solves for people? No. Oh, and the reason why <laughs> it's because we like to say that we're a health and wellness company disguised as a footwear brand. And it's not that our shoe is making a difference. It's that by getting out of a traditional shoe, which has a pointy toe box that squeezes your toes together, which inhibits motion, that elevates your heel, which messes with your posture, that has all that foam so you can't feel, so your brain doesn't know how to adapt to what you're stepping on or stepping in, that has things like arch support, which we think is a good thing, but like supporting any joint in your body when it's supported, it gets weaker. Same thing happens with art support and shoes. So we're just going back in time to the way footwear was made prior to 50 years ago, where there, there's a doctor from, she was at Harvard, who in a panel discussion that I was part of, she said to some guys from Brooks and Adidas, she says, look, in the 60s, we were running in thin-soled running shoes. We were playing basketball in Chuck Taylors. Why weren't we seeing, or why are we now seeing a, injuries with more severity, more, they're, I can't even thought, wait, higher severity, different kinds of problems uh, with more frequency than we've ever seen before. She said to them, so what problem were you trying to solve and why didn't it work? And they had no answer. So modern footwear gets in the way of doing what's natural. And when you do what's natural, your muscles, ligaments, and tendons support you, support your joints. The feedback supports your ability to balance and be agile. And so we just have a complete line of shoes, boots, and sandals that let you do what's natural. Now, here's why I can't answer your question. Because there's not a medical study backing up every one of the various things that tens of thousands, many tens of thousands of our customers have reported, I literally can't talk about the things they've reported. I can't tell you that we cure fill in the blank issue or illness or pain or whatever, because there isn't a study proving that. What I can tell you is the reviews, I'll talk about things like that. They say that my fill in the blank has gone away, my whatever no longer hurts, my, and literally I made a video where I say that I can't report these reviews because it would be illegal. And the only way I could show them is if I redacted them, like top secret military documents. And then I did. I show redacted reviews where you blacked out the part where they're talking about the specific thing that got better or the specific thing that was improved. That said, what I can also say, uh, there was another part to why I can't say some of those things uh, that fell totally out of my brain. The simplest thing I can say is this. If you think stronger is better than weaker, we know that what makes your bicep stronger is doing something like bicep curls. What makes it weaker is putting your arm in a cast. We know that feeling is better than being numb. We know that movement is better than being stuck. Everything we do is about letting your body do its natural. So you can discover natural comfort, natural performance improvements, natural health improvements. I can't get more specific because we literally have big companies who call our customer happiness team trying to get them to admit something like, hey, do you cure plantar fasciitis? And our team will never answer a question like that, regardless of what our customers say, because we can tell the difference between a customer calling and asking, hey, I got a problem, can this help? Versus someone calling to try to get us to admit something that we're not legally allowed to admit. That said, one last part, we have a whole other group of our customers who come because of performance benefits they experience or heard that they could experience by letting your toes spread, by being flat on the ground, by feeling the ground, by having something flexible, having something crazy lightweight. And there's research proving that our shoes like ours improve foot strength. Why wouldn't you want to be stronger? That can improve balance. Why wouldn't you want that? But we can't get really specific because we don't have the literally millions of dollars that it would take to do all the research that would be required. Now, happily, a lot of this research is going on right now for balance in the elderly, various foot, ankle, hip, knee, back problems, et cetera. And we're looking forward to being able to say these things publicly that we can only not say publicly now.
Okay, that's excellent. I love that articulation. So can you can let's continue along and maybe I'm thinking maybe if you could tell us a case study or two of a customer and just saying, Sarah, here's the situation. We she found us in the following way. She, whatever happened. And then she whatever. So a yeah, couple yeah. stories would I think maybe get us to be able to have you verbalize all this redacted stuff. Sure. I literally can't do the the problem version where someone who okay. says fasciitis or whatever, because I literally can't say it publicly because it would be admitting, it would basically be making an unfounded medical claim. Okay. What I will tell you is the flip side. We have a professional hockey player, a female hockey player. She's an Olympian who said she's skating better than ever because she wears our shoes off the ice. And what happens in a skate, your foot can't move. It's all stuck. It basically gets weaker, just like putting your arm in a cast. But as soon as she gets out of her skate, she puts on our shoes and our sandals. Her feet can move. Her feet can bend and flex. She's feeling the ground. Her toes are spreading. And like I said, just walking in our shoes can build foot strength. There's a study that proves that. And so she says, I'm skating better because I'm accelerating better and I'm jumping better because that's not just my feet. It's also my ankles as well. And so that's helpful. We have a professional. Um, before, before you stop, back to her. Do you happen to know how she found out about you guys? No, that's a okay. really good question. Word of mouth is the number one thing that's been driving our okay. business. So half of our customers or half of our orders are from repeat customers. And I polled them recently and said, how many of you have been stopped on the street by someone wanting to know about your shoes? 75% said they had. And then I said, how many stopped you on the street because they knew they were zero shoes? And they said, 65% said that had happened. I said, how many of you have been stopped on the street because you bumped into somebody else also wearing zero shoes? 55% of people had a yes for that one. We're, our stuff is just visible. And if you're a performance athlete, I'm a former All-American gymnast, now I'm an All-American sprinter. You're always looking for an edge. So some of these people are always just on the hunt and they heard that letting your feet do what's natural can be helpful. So I don't know how she found that one. Similarly, a WNBA player, she don't know how she found us. She called us and said, I've been wearing your sandals for a few years. My feet and ankles have become indestructible. I wish you had a basketball shoe. Just so happened we had made a basketball shoe. That just is a prototype. And it wasn't her size, but we sent it to her anyway. And she said, yeah, I can't wear it because it's not my size, but I couldn't sprain my ankle on these if you paid me to. And the other things, what I can say more generally is my favorite thing is when someone gets a pair of our shoes and their mother or father who are in their 80s or 90s eventually decide to try it. And they go, why didn't you tell me that I should be wearing these shoes? I'm walking better than ever. Um, we have 80-year-olds who started running races for the first time in their life. They're hiking. They're doing more because they're using their feet naturally. They're getting that feedback of what they're, about what they're stepping on or in. Their feet have become responsive because they've become stronger. Their brain is getting more information and sending more information to the rest of their body about how to move. And we hear that all the time. Quick, actually, I can do this one. A study by Dr. Isabel Sacco took elderly women with knee osteoarthritis and put them in minimalist shoes, not ours, but ones similar in some ways. And within six months, many of them, the arthritis was gone. And for the ones for whom it wasn't gone, their pain medication intake had dropped to next to nothing. And what had happened is they started using their body naturally. And one thing is that your muscles and ligaments and tendons do is protect your joints if you're able to move naturally, which you can't do in a shoe that messes, elevates your heel, squeezes your toes, doesn't let your foot move, and supports it too much. Yes, indeed, indeed. Now, uh, my, I also want to have you tell me about how you're different from your competition. And as I say competition, 
I'm sure you're going to be able to expand the universe of who you compete with. But what I'd like you to do is tell our listeners why shopping around with the competition is not necessary. Just come to your store. Okay. So let's start with the direct competition. Other people making minimalist footwear or barefoot footwear. And what I can say is most of the companies who are making barefoot style footwear are not actually making things truly barefoot enough. So back to Irene Davis when she was at Harvard, her research showed that these shoes that are what she called partial minimalist, they have too much cushioning typically, too much arch support typically, squeeze your toes a little too much typically. Even any one of those gets in the way of your feet doing what's natural. And those are the worst for you, especially any extra cushioning. Because what happens when you have cushioning in your shoes is your leg actually lands more stiffly, more straight, And that puts all the force that would normally be absorbed by your muscles, ligaments, and tendons, puts that force right into your joints, your ankle, your knee, your hip, your back, and whichever one's the weakest, it's going to suffer. So my direct competitors, the best thing I say as a comparison, we have over 50 styles of casual and performance shoes, boots, and sandals for everything you could think of to do. So we have more styles of more different kinds of products than any of my competition. We also back our shoes with a 5,000 mile sole warranty. Compared to regular shoes where they say replace them every two to 300 miles or 500 miles, we used Mm -hmm. a different rubber compound that we wanted to be durable, flexible, lightweight. And so we back our shoes with a 5,000 mile sole warranty, which came from the fact that our original product was a do-it-yourself sandal kit that we still sell, inspired by the sandals that like the Tatamara in Mexico that are made out of scraps of tire. So two years in, people would say to me, how long are these sandals going to last? I'd say, I don't know. We've never had anyone wear out a pair. So then inspired by tire sandals and that, I went, okay, 5,000 miles sole warranty. Now we don't make you wear a pedometer. We've got a whole thing about how we replace shoes. That I, I was going to ask you, okay, okay. Yeah, we don't That's that. beautiful. We're also at a better price point. So compared to our best competitors, our shoes are 50% less or sometimes even more. Now compared to the footwear world at large, Nike, Reebok, Adi, et cetera, the simplest thing is, I, I'll say it this way. They have never been able to, they have never been able to approve one claim they've ever made, ever. They have never proved that they reduce injury and improve performance, ever. And I'll give a fun example about both of those. Let's do the performance one first. There's a guy who your dad may have raced against way back when, oh, maybe not, named Delano Merriweather. Delano Merriweather set the world record in the 100-yard dash, and it still stands today because when he set it in 1971, they immediately, right after is when they switched to meters around the world. But he ran a nine flat hundred yards in a pair wow. of shoes that are more like ours on a shitty track surface. Now, a nine flat hundred yards is about a nine, eight, maybe nine, eight, 300 meters. That would make him the fifth fastest man in the world today. So clearly all that quote, shoe technology has not improved sprinting. In fact, someone did their research and uh, looked at Jesse Owens and said that he would have been second to Usain Bolt if he was running today. So there's that. Now let's talk about injuries. I'm just quoting something that's on the Nike website where they did a test with their best-selling running shoe, the Zoom Structure 22. This is a couple of years ago. Against a new shoe they developed called the React Infinity Run. And the way they publicized the results of this study, it was a 12-week study, was that the new shoe reduced injury rates by 52%, which is true. But then you have to look at the numbers themselves. Their best-selling shoe in the 12-week study that they developed, over 30% of the people wearing it got injured. The new shoe, only 14.5% got injured. One out of three versus one out of seven. How is that good? After 50 years of R&D, 
the best you could do is injure basically a third of your customers in under 12 weeks and injury rates go up over time. They proved that their shoes injure people, but the way they pitched it was, hey, we've made it less bad. If our shoes had an injury rate of, let's do the best one, of 14.5% in 12 weeks, we'd be out of business and I'd be in jail. And yet they are still going along. And you may ask, if that new shoe was so much better, why are you still selling the old crappy one? And why didn't you make all the other shoes like that one? Oh, and what made that shoe better? What they did to make it better, they got, this is a quote, they removed many of the protective features. They made it more like us. I mean, that's all I got. So that's inside knowledge, but the protective features, or as, as, do they actually advertise um, that part too? No, in fact, when you look at the when you look at the portion of the abstract on their website, right. only have a portion of the abstract. I when I heard about this study about three and a half years ago, I tracked down the guys who did the study. They had, they paid someone at a private university to do the study, and he sent me the he sent me the data that he used when he presented the information about the study publicly. It's never oh. been published. Okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, now we've got the minimalist shoes, the, or the the overall shoes, but how about the other competitors that you've got? Uh, again, all the other competitors are the big shoe companies who, to this day, can't prove that they reduce injury and improve performance. And okay, okay, I, I thought maybe you would talk about. So I was thinking about, for example, my yoga instructor who demonstrated how socks screwed up your feet as well. Just true. Just thought. And so I thought you maybe were going to just expand uh, a bit. Look, here's the simple thing. Again, you have a quarter of the bones and joints of your whole body and your feet and ankles. That's joints are supposed to let things move. And if they don't move, if your feet can't move, there's the, all those bones and joints, then that function tries unsuccessfully to move upstream into your ankle, your knee, your hip, and your back. doesn't work that way. They can't do that job. You have a quarter, you have more nerve endings in the soles of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and lips. If you can't feel anything, that's a problem too. And so our job is to let your feet do their job so the rest of your body can do its job. And anything that gets in the way of that natural motion and that natural feedback loop is going to cause problems. Not necessarily huge problems. A pair of socks is not going to kill you, but it definitely gets in the way of feeling things that you might not want to step on or step in. Very good. Very good. Let's talk about how you went about building your company, how the idea came to you, how you figured out the niche that you're in, all that story. Give us the kind of the milestones as you built your business. So I got back into sprinting after a 30-year break when I was 45, so 16 years ago or so. And for the next two years, I was getting injured pretty much constantly. And one day, a world champion runner said to me, why don't you take off your shoes and run barefoot and see if you learn anything? Now, I'm not suggesting people run barefoot, even though you'll hear it changed my life. That's why we make what we make. But suffice it to say, the thing about running barefoot is good form feels good, bad form hurts. And I discovered that I had some bad form that I couldn't feel through a regular shoe. But barefoot, I could feel it. And because it hurt, and I was committed to figuring out how to make this thing work, if something is mildly unpleasant, but you keep putting yourself through it, one thing your brain tries to make your body do is find a way to not make it hurt. And again- yeah. Bad form hurts, good form feels good. My form literally in one stride one day after my second bear or in the middle of my second barefoot run, my form changed instantly because I was doing something that was painful. And after nine minutes and 30 seconds of pain, my posture changed, the way I was planting my feet on the ground changed, the my cadence changed, everything got faster, easier, lighter. 
And I just wanted that experience for the rest of my life. My injuries went away. That's when I became faster, became a master's All-American. And I wanted that barefoot-like feeling. But I wanted to be able to get into restaurants without having to argue about whether it was legal. <laughs> and it is, by the way. I wanted to not make my wife upset by coming into our house that had white carpeting with my dirty bare feet. And so I started making sandals based on this 10,000-year-old design idea, just like what, again, like what the Tatarmara do with scraps of tire. They didn't have scraps of tire 10,000 years ago, but similar right. idea. And I made them for myself, for my wife. Other people started asking for some. They told two friends. They told two friends. And one day, a guy tells me that he's got a contract to write a book on barefoot running. And if I had a website for my goofy little sandal-making hobby, he would put me in the book. I've been an internet marketer since 1992. So I knew how to build websites. I rushed home. I pitched this incredible opportunity to my wife who assured me that I was a complete idiot and it was a waste of time and money and told me, do not do this. And so I told her I would not. And then when she went to bed, I did. <laughs> and so she growled at me the next day and I sure. said, look, maybe in a couple months, it'll be a car payment. It's not a big deal. It's not going to take up much of my time. And I was completely wrong. Uh, within about a week, it was obvious to us this is going to be our full time job, because we were we started the company in the end of November, and the first pair that we sold of our do it yourself sandal making kit was to somebody in Minnesota where they already had snow on the ground, and then we're walking around Colorado where it can be warm in the middle of winter with our sandals on, and a pack of teenage girls run up to us and go, "Oh my God, those are sick! Where do you get those?" And so we knew we were onto something, and with my internet marketing skill. And just providing something that people were interested in. A, this was a $20 to $25 product where you could make your own footwear at a time where we started this during the recession. So put it all together and it just took off. And we have been riding the wave ever since. And we have been unbelievably lucky. I like to say what's gotten us to where we are now, and I can say this publicly, last year, 2022, we did just shy of $50 million in sales. And we're growing nicely. You can find our financials online because we did an equity crowdfunding raise. So we have to report to the SEC. Oh, okay. So you can find that. We're doing well. What was the point of saying that? The luck part. The luckiest thing is that my now wife decided to become my friend and then my girlfriend and fiance and wife after avoiding me like the plague for four years. Because she is a brilliant operations and, and uh, finance person. I'm a product marketing or product and marketing person. And so if it weren't for the two of us, this wouldn't have happened. If it weren't for the fact that a friend of ours bumped into a guy who had 40 years of footwear design and manufacturing experience, who just retired from Crocs and met with us and said, um, hey, I'd be happy to work with you. And I said, I don't think I can afford you. He goes, I'm retired. I said, you're hired. If it weren't for him, and it was a fluke how he met this friend of ours, literally while they were walking their dogs, the dogs knew each other. So the guy started talking. That was huge. And I could literally spend the rest of the day telling you all the lucky things that happened. I like to say 90% of our success, whatever that means, is from luck. And the other 10% is also from luck. <laughs> and then there's a separate 100% where 90% is working our butts off. And the other 10% is hopefully either being smart enough or knowing how to find someone smart enough to know how to put out the fire that started overnight, despite the fact that nothing changed since yesterday and no fire should have started. Running a, a, a business of your size, you've got your wife, you've got yourself, you've got your designer. What other key players have you recruited over the years, Stephen? 
We have a number of divisions in the company. So we manage our own warehouse. So there's that. On the product side, there's a designer, a developer, a product line manager, um, additional designers, then the people at our factory. I never imagined we would have six people on the accounting team. But as the business has grown, that's become critically important. We have our customer happiness team. There's, I think, 20 people in our customer happiness team because we think that's very important. We have our marketing team, which internally is only about four people, but externally is about 20 other people in very, from various people that I'm contracting with who I've amassed over the years. I know I'm forgetting certain groups. Uh, we have our IT team, literally just the people who are just managing to keep all of our various IT stuff up and running. We have our web development team. There's four people on that team now. We need three or four more. If you're a smart WooCommerce developer, reach out to me. Who am I forgetting? I'm definitely, oh, we have our HR people, which I never imagined we would have more than one person dealing with HR. I never thought we'd have HR at all. I didn't know that was a thing because I never had a company this size. Who am I? I'm looking, I'm literally looking at, oh, we have our office manager. We have going down that way. I'm undeniably forgetting people when you put it all together, but there's sure. not- Sure, I'm sure you- yeah, I'm, I'm going to dig into that a little bit more now. Tell me about logistics. What's oh. your supply chain look like? Yes, thank you. We have our COO and our CFO. And oh, okay, that's brought a couple of people there, in. Okay, there's a couple more people. So we are manufacturing overseas because it's literally not possible for us to make these products domestically. And when people argue with me, I go in the same way that it's literally not possible to find a domestically made version of the device we're using to have this conversation. So we're looking to um grow beyond some of the places that we are right now but there's just no not a chance that we can bring this domestically the experts in footwear say to bring footwear manufacturing back to the US would take 20 years and 100 billion dollars that all that left the country back in the early 70s and is just not coming back other than small things that some people can do there's one big company that got in trouble because they made a shoe totally made in America and now they now people started thinking all their shoes were totally made in America and the way they are getting around that, even though they're being sued for it, is that they say, we'll claim something is made in America if it has 70% domestic value. I spent an hour on the phone trying to get them to define domestic value and got- I imagine. Yeah. I've actually even asked the CEO and he won't tell me. So it's problematic. Anyway, so we, we work with about four or five factories directly that we've, again, put together over the years. And, and then we ship stuff over here all year long. And then we are selling both direct to consumer from an office here in America, an office in the Czech Republic, and soon to be an office in the UK. And we're also selling wholesale around the world. We have distrib international distributors, as well as the wholesale accounts that we work with here and the ones that we work with in Europe. So we're in about 500 stores around the world, but predominantly our primary business is direct to consumer, either from our website or third-party online sites like Amazon, Zappos, Runner's Warehouse, Moosejaw, Gear.com. I'm forgetting some of my apologies to those of you who I'm, I've left out. Any any insights that you gained from the stumbles and falls that you made along the way building your business? Yeah, whenever possible, just get a government job with a pension. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I say that only half as a joke. I have friends who had government jobs with pensions. Now they're retired and they're, they don't know how to spend all the money. And they yeah. had vacations, they had benefits, they didn't work weekends, they went home at five o'clock. It sounds pretty good. And the joke that I have is if my saying, get a government job with a pension, gives anybody any pause, then they should get a government job with a pension. Because if you're a real entrepreneur, there's nothing I could tell you that will talk you out of your pursuing your statistically stupid idea. 
<laughs> Isn't that the absolute truth? And I got so I've, you, I've had dozens of them that were incredibly stupid. I've been lucky I had two that were really good. Yeah, I, I am, <clears throat> I've had more than dozens. Can think of it. <laughs> uh, you've tweaked some interest from lots of people listening to you now. Mm. How would those folks, various folks, get a hold of you? I'm a sprinter, so it's I'm hard to catch. And But if you don't mean it literally, we are at Zero Shoes, X-E-R-O Shoes.com, at Zero Shoes.eu, and at Zero Shoes.co.uk. And then we're on social media, pretty much anywhere you can. We're at Zero Shoes or slash Zero Shoes, wherever you have an at or slash. Customers, vin, potential vendors, teammates. You name it. We also, I just remembered, I don't know why I forget the obvious things. So we have a warehouse in East Denver and we attached a store as part of our warehouse. So okay. if people want to come try things on and experience it that way, then they can do that. And we do free domestic exchanges because we know footwear sizing is more art than science. I can take three people with identical feet, put them in the same shoe, and they'll have three opinions about whether it fits. So um, we want to make it easier for people to get what's the right thing for them. Um, but we know no one has ever gotten it perfectly, nor will they ever. So we just try to make it easier. Great. Stephen, what's uh, one question that I should have asked you so far? I didn't that you know that if you pose the question and answer, it'll give great value to our listening audience? Holy crap. You didn't really ask me what I specifically did after I launched the website to get the ball rolling. And there's a question that kind of, that you wouldn't have think, thought to ask about that, that kind of comes before that, but it's related to it. And okay. so I don't know how to frame the question. I'll, I'll say this. The biggest mistake that I see entrepreneurs make is that they get married to an idea before they prove that it's a viable idea. So in the old days, what you would do is you would write a full page ad for your product. You'd put it in a magazine and you would wait for people to send in coupons along with checks. And if you got enough checks to justify making the product, you would. And if not, you would send them a nice letter uh, with a ripped up check and you'd send that back to them. Well, you can do the same kind of thing now on the internet. You can spend some money on some Google ads or Facebook ads and find out if people really care about what you're doing. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care what your parents or your children say. You need to find people who don't know who you are, who are willing to prove that they will take their hard-earned money out of their wallet and give it to you. And there's many ways you can do that to prove it first. Then you have to figure out if there's enough of those people that you can get to in at a reasonable cost to justify your business. So in the early days for us, we couldn't do any paid advertising because we were selling a $25 product. And advertising was too expensive, especially in the very early days when the big companies were trying to buy all the advertising space for th terms like barefoot shoes because they were terrified that if they didn't own the conversation, they'd never sell another shoe. What I did is I just made an end run around them. I This a line from a friend of mine, making money is easy. Just figure out where it's flowing and get in the way of the flow. Mm. So a version of that is find out where people are talking about the problems that they have that you're a solution for and offer them something of value for free that you would otherwise think to charge for <laughs> and provide value to people. Get involved in the conversation. And if you are involved in the conversation and providing value, then you can very subtly point out, by the way, there's a solution that I put together because I had the same problem you did. You might want to check it out. And that's what I did. I made videos basically showing how to rip off my entire business by making these do-it-yourself sandals. It just so happened that we had the materials, a wider selection of better materials for less money than you could find them on your own. 
That was it. That's how we got started. And I just made a bunch of those videos and put them everywhere I could think of. I got involved in every conversation and told them what I had been learning and shared what I had discovered. And that's how it grew where I didn't need to compete on the paid search side for a while, for about a year. If you did a search for any keyword that I cared about, I had at least 40 of the top 50 search results. I just dominated by just creating all this content and putting it out there in places where people cared. Okay. And so those are my, that's my kind of getting started, like before you really commit and then what to do afterwards advice. Beautiful. I loved it. Thanks. Later. In closing, uh -oh. let's remember that your business will not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, it requires the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having a visionary strategy, of having a system of management to execute that strategy, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, you can get your hands on those three tools. Just go to Business Mastery Pro and pick them off the shelf. Thanks for listening. Stephen, thanks for sharing your time with us today. My pleasure.